Welcome to Seeing Eye to Eye, the show about innovation and integration. Why integration and innovation? Because we believe these are key skills for anyone on a path of continual progress, so you can create and successfully live a bold vision for a more meaningful future. We're your hosts, I'm Ash. And I'm Joya. Join us for conversations that are part entrepreneurial strategy, part philosophical discussion, and part personal development tools. If you are or aspire to be a high-performing and exponentially ambitious entrepreneur, thought leader, or creator, this show is for you. Four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome. This is episode two of Seeing Eye to Eye, the show all about innovation and integration. So in this episode, we are going to start to explore the idea of the entrepreneur. So this episode and really all of the episodes in this season are a continuing exploration of the idea we introduced in episode one. So if you haven't yet watched or heard episode one, it's all about what we're calling the 21st century Renaissance human project. And as part of this project, we believe that all human beings ought to be multidisciplinary and include multiple kinds of roles into their life. One of the most important being the role of the entrepreneur. So that is what we're going to explore today. And we want to start even by mentioning that we have really a very broad definition and concept of entrepreneur. It might not be how you normally think about this term. This is not the Silicon Valley tech stereotypical idea of the entrepreneur. So let me even begin with a definition. No? Not, not just them. <laughs> not just them. Exactly. Them too. <laughs> <laughs> them too. So here is our definition. Taking an active role to start up a long-term project, whether a business venture, a social organization, a community initiative, or a personal project, being mission-driven and results-oriented. So we thought we'd even begin by breaking down this definition and exploring some of the key terms. What exactly is a startup? How that even involves risk, which I think is an important concept that we want to discuss here. And even the importance of being mission-driven and results-oriented. And we actually have, we think, a really excellent example that we want everybody to think of when you think of the prime example of an entrepreneur. So I don't know who comes to your mind when you hear the term entrepreneur, but Ash, why don't you tell everybody who it is that we want to do an in-depth exploration of today? Yeah, uh, well, I, so I, uh, this past week and I was uh, listening to the third autobiography written toward the end of his life of Frederick Douglass, the, uh, the escaped slave. And, and then I've also been reading this other recent biography of him, Frederick Douglass, uh, Prophet of Freedom. That's also excellent. So I'm kind of like right in the middle of both of those. Um, and uh, so while I've been reading those, I, he just stuck out to me as like a really great example of this broad kind of definition of entrepreneurship that, that we're talking about. Um, so I, I thought uh, kind of going over some of the aspects of his life that illustrate these different uh, aspects of being an entrepreneur that, that you talked about would be a, a good way to help illustrate what we're talking about here. But um, first, 
since I, I know that you actually taught his first autobiography, the, the narrative of the life of an American slave when you were a grad student in American literature, um, do you, and you know, we've both read that many times. We're both, we both really love Frederick Douglass. I think he's uh, a really amazing person. Um, but for people who aren't as familiar just kind of with like the basics of his life, do you just kind of want to give a, a brief overview of, of who he was? Sure. So what I remember is that he doesn't even know exactly when he was born. That was just part of the life of a slave. But the date that I recall is even 1818 as the start of his life. And so he was born into slavery in Maryland. And that was how he spent the first couple decades of his life. And I think we're even going to talk about some of the seminal stories from his childhood. And then eventually was able to escape, made his way up north, and began then a fascinating life and career involved in really as a leader of the abolition movement. And I think we want to start to explore all these aspects of what turned out to be a rather long life. I believe he lived to be into his 70s. And so his life that encompassed the Civil War. So even just what it was to interact in that era with all the significant things happening at that time, and then how he was a leader in that era. Right. Um, yeah. And, and to me, he just, you know, throughout his life, he just stands out as an example of someone who's very entrepreneurial in this sense of he had to, uh, as a matter of necessity, if he wanted to make more of his life than just living as a slave under that, that system, he had to seize the initiative to, uh, to take control of his own destiny and to determine the course of his own life. And, um, and, and the story of like all of the different ways in which he did that and in which he <laughs> then also helped other people do the same thing in various ways is, is really just incredibly uh, inspiring to me. Um, so do you want to start, give us one prime example of Douglas as an entrepreneur. So uh, kind of like the, the aspect of his life that would kind of fit the more traditional narrower idea of entrepreneurship would uh, be when after he uh, escaped from slavery and then uh, was kind of discovered by some of the, the leading abolitionists of his time, like uh, William Lloyd Garrison, who ran the, the abolitionist paper, The Liberator, um, and, and Frederick Douglass started working with uh, the Garrisonians as a speaker um, and then wrote his, his first autobiography he, which, you know, then led to him having to uh, go to England for a while because he was a risk of being uh, captured as an escape slave and, and sent back to uh, the South. And, um, but once his, his friends um, in America and England had helped him actually procure his freedom, they actually bought his freedom from his former master. Um, he was able to return to the United States, and, and shortly afterward, he actually set himself up in his own um, business, uh, editing and publishing his own newspaper, and uh, it was originally called the North Star. Uh, he, after a couple of years, I think he changed the name to just Frederick Douglass's paper <laughs> because 
he wanted to distinguish it from all of the other star named papers at the time. But I love um, the name North Star. What I what I remember yeah. about that story was that he was particularly inspired by slaves who were trying to escape from the South. Mm -hmm. And how did they do that? They had to follow the North Star, literally exactly. the North Star to get north, but then also in a symbolic sense of this is essentially the, the fixed guide or point, the inspiration of what it is that we are moving toward in a more symbolic way of thinking about that movement. Yeah, um, but this is, you know, this is a really great, just kind of typically American example of this kind of uh, startup business venture where, you know, he had to worry about things like branding and how, what to name it. And, you know, the first year or so he, you know, really struggled building up circulation until he hired a woman who was really good at that and was able to help double his circulation within another year and, and, uh, and make his paper, you know, solvent. Um, so, you know, and, and he also was dealing with issues of like his former mentor and colleagues at the Liberator, you know, were really, really upset when he went off to start his own venture, you know, they thought he should stay in his place. And, um, but you know, like he actually was trying not to step on their toes because he still respected all the things that they had done for him. And so he, you know, relocated from kind of the Boston area there where he had been at the time to, uh, I think Rochester, New York and set up there so as not to compete as directly with them. Um, and so, you know, he's, he's just, is a really good example of, of that kind of typical um, startup trajectory for that period. But even more than that, he, uh, I think is a really great example of somebody who was incredibly innovative in terms of um, the ideas that he was presenting because, you know, he, this is an intellectual business, you know, running a newspaper and the content that he was providing was definitely distinctive, including from, you know, even the Garrisonian abolitionists. He definitely wanted to strike out on his own path and, and convey his own message to as wide of an audience as he could. Um, so I guess that uh, brings us a little bit towards this, this next aspect, besides uh, having a, a startup of a project to, to being mission driven. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a very clear example of someone who lived a very mission driven life. But what's even fascinating is the way I think in which his mission evolved. I think some people mm -hmm. aren't even aware of, you know, it wasn't just, for example, the rights of African-Americans. He got interested and involved with the women's movement. And then just even how that mission evolved before the Civil War, during the Civil War, and after the Civil War. I think it's a beautiful example of how you start with a basic idea and how that idea grows as you develop and change and as the times around you change. Yeah, so he did definitely have a very um, strong sense of, you know, kind of the deeper principles underlying his vision and how that connected to some of these other movements at the time, related movements like women's rights. Um, but he was also incredibly results oriented to bring up your, your next mm -hmm. major point there. And, you know, his primary objective um, at, at that period, you know, during those decades leading up to the Civil War was to help bring about the end of the slave system um, that he had escaped from, that he had, you know, experienced firsthand and, and you know, incredibly 
<laughs> horrific ways. You know, if if you're familiar with with his his uh, first narrative, he recounts you know many um, events from his childhood that are just you know really heart heartbreaking. Um, and you know he really wanted that was kind of his his central mission at, at that stage of his life was to help end that system for the you know millions of Americans who were suffering under it at that at that time um, so that yeah so that's uh, when you talk about results oriented being kind of a combination of innovation and so that's his he was very ideologically innovative plus having this this purpose that that integrates uh, which you know he, he had in in terms of that uh, that mission of abolishing slavery um, and I think this gets to another point that we really want to make sure to emphasize, which is in talking about innovation. So often when people think about innovation, they think about the extreme examples, the yeah. kinds of innovations that are totally revolutionary and transform the world. And of course, those are some of the innovations that we definitely want to talk about. But I think we also want to emphasize the fact that innovation exists on a spectrum and that really it ought to exist on a kind of path. So that the important thing is to identify yourself as someone on this spectrum of innovation and then throughout your life to be working toward greater and greater innovation. And maybe right. we can even just start to talk about a couple examples there. We can even start with sure. some Frederick Douglass examples. I, I like to bring up even one of my favorite stories about him from his childhood, which I think is a great entrepreneurial kind of story, which is the story of how he essentially taught himself how to write and to advance his reading skills and then to teach himself how to write. It's, yes. I think, a, a perfect example of a kind of startup venture. It even involved lots of risk, but there was certainly a mission-driven aspect to it and a results-oriented focus. So a perfect example yeah. of a kind of entrepreneurial venture in this broad sense. But yeah. maybe you want to even tell us a little bit more about this story. It's a great yeah, story. Absolutely. He uh, So he had started working kind of on a plantation uh, in more rural part of Maryland as a child. And then at one point, he was sent to work for uh, his master's brother, basically, in Baltimore and uh, to help uh, take care of their young child. And his uh, new mistress started teaching him to read from the Bible because she thought that he should have, you know, a good Christian education at the time. And uh, when her husband found out about it, he forbade it. And he told her, if you educate him, you will forever unfit him to be a slave. And uh, Frederick Douglass overheard this. And that of course, made him even more interested in learning to read because obviously he wanted to not be a slave. And so he, that really piqued his curiosity. And um, so he began to um, teach himself to read by, you know, tricking the other poor white children in the neighborhood to, to teach him how to make letters um, and by, you know, trading if he had any spare scraps of food that he could do without he would you know trade them to the poor white children for for reading lessons or writing lessons um and you know i think 
you know, at some point you mentioned he even got a hold of a book somehow. I don't know if that, if that was also uh, he obtained that from the other white white children. He got a copy of a book called The Columbian Orator, which was also incidentally um, a book that was one of the biggest influences on Abraham Lincoln's um, childhood and career. Um, and so he really taught himself to read and then, and then later went on to when he was returned to the plantation, he uh, started up a Sunday school, which, you know, presumably for the purpose of, of teaching other slaves their Bible, but actually, you know, he was teaching to read from the Columbian Orator, which had a lot of kind of abolitionist uh, speeches reprinted in it and things like that. So uh, it's a pretty amazing story. And, you know, and also, you know, he would steal um, his, his in, while he was still in Baltimore, he would steal the, the copy books of, his master's child to, and and copy his own uh, letters in between the lines to, to teach himself to write. And this is, you know, like a huge personal risk to himself. He could have, mm -hmm. you know, been severely beaten. He could have been returned to the plantation, maybe even sold into the deep South where, you know, he mm -hmm. would have probably died a very young death after being worked to death, uh, you know? And so this is just the kind of thing that, you know, makes me feel like, you know, like you mentioned, he, he definitely was was following these these goals even at personal risk, and it's the kind of great personal risk that today you know we don't have to face at all. Mm -hmm. So it's, it I, it makes me kind of feel like well, if he could accomplish all of those things in the face of the kinds of obstacles and op opposition that he faced, um, you know what's our excuse? Because it's like he's he was a self-made man, not just in the sense of you know really building this life for himself. Um, without, you know, tons of assistance from from the outside, but actually in the face of an entire society, you know, literally trying to whip the ambition out of him. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, to me, that makes him kind of one of the greatest examples of <laughs> of like a self-made person and, and an entrepreneur that, that I've ever encountered. So, yeah, but, you know, there... So yeah, I, I agree. Frederick Douglass is a great example, you know, and there are these stories throughout his life of how, you know, he started small on this path and then gradually kind of progressed and built on that, you know, from one stage to the next over the course of his his life and his career. Um, but, you know, there are lots of other kind of more prosaic examples too that, that we can talk about. So what uh, I, I was uh, <laughs> telling you before we started recording, um, I actually just had my hair cut this morning. And, you know, if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, you can probably tell I kind of... <laughs> gave up on doing anything fancy with my hair a long time ago. <laughs> so, you know, I was just going to like one of the cheap chain haircut places. Um, but, you know, I got talking to my stylist about, you know, this podcast that we're doing that we're going to be recording this episode on entrepreneurship today. And so I started asking her kind of about the business model in, in that industry. And um, I think there's similar things in some other service industries, but it's, it's really interesting in, in that particular field because they have this sort of spectrum sort of built into it where, um, you know, like a lot of the, the big chains have like a franchise model. So the franchisees, you know, can be somewhat entrepreneurial while still having, um, you know, kind of like the pre-existing format for them to follow. Um, but then there are, you know, there are also independent salons and, and they, um, have almost kind of like a mini franchise model for some of the people that work there where they actually do what they call booth renting, um, where the, the stylist can, can rent space in a salon to, uh, to do their, um, their haircuts and things. Um, 
but then, you know, there are other people who work in, in some places where it's more on kind of a commission model. So they're not actually paying for the, the space, um, but they, you know, are paid according to, you know, the actual haircuts and styles and things that they do all the way down to, you know, their stylists that just kind of work like on an hourly rate for their, the actual haircuts that they're giving, but then they might get like a commission for products that they sell and things like that. So, um, so there is this kind of path that's exists where you can kind of start at one at the low end of the path and kind of gradually work your way up. And as you do that along this path, it kind of gives you an increasing level of control over uh, what you do and, and how you do it, you know, in terms of the scheduling, the, the kinds of services that you want to specialize in providing, you know, even down to the level of like small things like, um, you know, the kind of music that you want to play in, in the salon that you, that you work at or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But, but, you know, like that's a pretty interesting example that how you can start on one side of the spectrum and kind of gradually work your way up. And eventually you can get to, you know, and you can, you know, increase the kind of level of control you have over these different aspects of your life as you move along that path. Um, but eventually, you know, you can even get up to kind of this, this more mission driven level that, that we're talking about that, um, you know, we think people should ultimately be striving toward. Um, so and I think you even had like some thoughts about like how people could even do that in, in like the hairstyling <laughs> world profession. Oh, exactly. That, that there is this, this spectrum and as you're moving along the spectrum, I love how you're pointing out that one of the great benefits is more control. One of the ways I like to see this is even as more authenticity. You get to bring more of yourself, your vision, your values, what is right. it that you want for your life. So it, it starts to bring in your vision, even for hairstyling and for business. And then what I want to argue is you can start to integrate this with the 21st century Renaissance human model and even start to take your interest perhaps in hairstyling and start to branch out. So maybe starting to think about uh, you know, hairstyling gets you involved even deeper with the arts and the visual arts and you start pursuing that more. It could get you into the sciences, perhaps thinking about the biology of hair and hair growth and you could start going down a really interesting path there. You could perhaps get involved with social movements, the, the social aspect of what it is to run a salon. So there's just so many fascinating paths as you evolve. But even if we just kind of take it back to the beginning part of the spectrum again, I think it's even useful to, when we're discussing what it means to be a startup, to mm -hmm. say, as opposed to what? What a startup means as opposed to what? So when we're talking about a startup, we're talking about it as opposed to a, a kind of project or institution or way of doing things that already exists. And mm -hmm. so what a startup is, just at a very fundamental level, is essentially this bringing something new into existence. So I was even thinking of, you know, what's even a very small scale example of this? And one that immediately pops to my mind is perhaps something like gardening. So mm -hmm. you could pursue gardening in a way that's not a startup. If perhaps, let's say, your mother had a garden that she developed and now you're just taking it over and you're following all of her protocols and you're just growing exactly what she grew and did exactly what she did. 
there's you just maintaining an existing order. But perhaps even within your mother's garden, you could start up your own plot. And maybe it's not even all that innovative. Maybe all it is is you're taking skills in, let's say, growing tomatoes and cucumbers that people have done, but it's still new in that it's new for you and it's new for this garden. So here's a very small scale example of a startup. And I think if you bring this energy of wanting to be mission driven, having a mission for why am I starting up this new plot and to approach it, a project with this results orientation so that you're not just kind of dabbling in it. And a garden perhaps mm. is a perfect example because if you just sort of dabble in a garden and you kind of forget to take care of it, you probably lose your garden to pests and weather and, and the like. Right. So yeah. I think a garden is a good example there. But then here's just a small scale example that could transform into something incredibly innovative. And I know you had a great example on sort of the far end of the spectrum of the gardening spectrum. Yeah, yeah. When you mentioned that that gardening uh, example and kind of metaphor originally, uh, one of the and we we're talking about innovation and and growing things. Um, one of the first things that popped in my mind was uh, cotton candy grapes. And, I've never even heard of this. Right. I'm sure this is a West Coast thing. <laughs> yeah. So I, I looked into it a little more. So it's something that you can get just kind of seasonally at, at Walmart and things. And so for, for people who like you hadn't heard of them before, uh, it's, well, we it's this variety of grapes. In New York City, so. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's this variety of grapes that uh, taste, well, let me just read you the description from their website. Um, So it says, cotton candy grapes taste exactly like the pink spun sugar treat that you loved as a kid at the circus. And we mean exactly. Pop some in your mouth, close your eyes, and you're that kid again. And here's a bonus. These grapes aren't sticky and loaded with granulated sugar like the fluffy stuff you munched on back in the day, but they're just as sweet and much juicier. This is fresh fruit you can snack on all you want. Everyone who's tried these one-of-a-kind grapes has had a jaw-dropping, totally amazed reaction. And that is... Completely true in my experience. Like literally the first time I tried them, my jaw dropped. And then I've since introduced them to a couple other people had the exact same reaction. And um, and uh, yeah, so just like even on their <laughs> their Wikipedia page, you know, so it's talking about, because I wanted to look up a little bit more about how these were developed. And, you know, is there some kind of like weird genetic engineering going on here or what's going on? Um, and they were developed at... Uh, International Fruit Genetics by a geneticist named David Kane, um, who developed this uh, patented cotton candy grapes for a, a business called Grapery, founded by Jack Pan Pandall and is uh, owned by him and Jim Beagle. And uh, so they have a lot of other kind of proprietary varieties as well and, and that were developed by using hand pollination to cross-pollinate millions of grapes to develop the desirable varieties. Um, so, you know, 100,000 plants were created, grown in test tubes before developing this variety of grape which took 12 years uh, and no artificial flavoring is added to give this variety of grapes their cotton candy flavor. And then amusingly, uh, the first reference to external links on, on the Wikipedia page for this is to an article headlined, OMG, have you tried these cotton candy grapes? Exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is totally appropriate. It's uh, amazing. So. So yeah, that's just to me like a, a great example of like how you can you know use these kind of um, 
scientific development techniques to create new products and and do like really innovative things, you know, even in a field like growing grapes, you know, which, you know, first makes me wonder why they haven't started making, uh, you know, like cotton candy grape based dessert wines or something like that mm-hmm. yet, or even just like other products like cotton candy grape jam or juice or whatever other things. But apparently it's just, you know, there is just this one grapery that's growing them. They, you know, filed the patent in 2011 and started uh, selling them at that point. And the patent uh, isn't expected, anticipated to expire until 2031. But hopefully they'll, you know, innovate in the way that they are handling that and kind of lease out to other growers and, and product developers to <laughs> so they can kind of scale their operations and make these available to more people because... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, like I mentioned, it's only available seasonally and uh, I think just late summer, like mid-August to mid-September right now is the only time you can get them. So if you haven't tried them yet, you know, look out for those. They're amazing. <laughs> so speaking of scaling, I think this takes us into the next point we wanted to discuss, which is this idea that entrepreneurialism for any given individual ought to evolve over a lifetime. And I think there's even two distinct concepts here, but that ought to be integrated. So on the one hand, I think there's the idea of your own personal organizing principles, your own way of integrating multiple entrepreneurial pursuits over the course of a lifetime. And then there's also an idea, if we're gonna borrow from uh, an idea we even started mentioning in previous episodes, this idea of the massively transformative purpose, as it's been defined by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. And they have this idea of a massively transformative purpose, which is massive precisely because of the amount of people that it reaches and the scale of the impact that it has globally. And that ultimately you want to marry these, you want to integrate these, and that it is a process that can and ought to evolve over the course of what is hopefully your very long life. Right. Yeah. And again, you know, I think Frederick Douglass's life mm-hmm. offers some, some perfect examples for that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier how kind of his main central purpose uh, after he escaped from slavery was to help bring about the end of, of the slave system. Um, but like you mentioned, he lived a very long life. And so that happened decades before the end of his life. And Hmm. so, you know, I talked about the the paper he started, he actually closed that up. Um, Well, let me read to you a little bit about this from from that biography I mentioned earlier. So, you know, after the the Emancipation Proclamation was issued, Douglas, you know, ceased editing his newspaper in August 1863. So that was even before the uh, 13th Amendment was even passed and ratified, uh, you know, while the war was even still going on. Um, but he, he felt like once the Emancipation Proclamation was passed, he had kind of fulfilled that purpose that he had started the paper for. Um, so, you know, the biography says that professional emotional stem of his life for 16 years as a radical abolitionist had, had ceased. Um, and so in The Life and Times, his, his last biography, in autobiography in 1881, while reflecting back on the immediate aftermath of the war, Douglas admitted that a strange and perhaps perverse feeling came over me. Great joy over the ending of slavery was at times tinged with a feeling of sadness. 
I felt that I had reached the end of the noblest and best part of my life. My school was broken up, my church disbanded, and the beloved congregation dispersed, never to come together again. Anti-slavery had performed its work. So he had a, a period there where he was having almost a bit of an existential crisis of, okay, I've accomplished what I wanted to. Mm -hmm. Now, now mm -hmm. what do I do with my life? Mm -hmm. But because that purpose had been based on these deeper principles that we talked about, he was able to sort of broaden um, his view of what his purpose in life was and, and his vision that he wanted to accomplish and go on to continue his work with, you know, the suffrage movement, you know, getting uh, not only blacks the vote, but, uh, you know, helping uh, the cause to eventually get women the vote. Um, and, you know, he supported Grant's efforts in reconstruction in the South and, um, and was, you know, really actively involved in a lot of educational efforts, uh, which he saw as really crucial to helping um, lift, uh, you know, black Americans, former slaves out of, you know, kind of the poverty and the, the, uh, the position that they were in even after um, they had been emancipated from, from the slave system. Um, so, yeah, so he, he uh, was able to do exactly what you're talking about. And he had, you know, these, these massively transformative purposes that kind of evolved over time to kind of fit um, the, the circumstances of his life and, and the society that he was working within uh, across the, the course of his lifetime. Mm -hmm. And perhaps one of the most inspiring things even about his life journey and his work was the effect that his work had, not even just during the time, all the people it affected during the time, but his continuing influence even decades, century now, more than a century after his death. Oh, sure, yeah. Um... You know, he, like I said, he was a, a real innovator in terms of the content of what he was saying because he was, you know, other, you know, a lot of the white abolitionists at the time were, you know, to, to put it bluntly, they were still totally racist. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and even though they were trying to help uh, gain uh, political freedom for, for black people who were suffering under the slave system, you know, a lot of them thought that they should still be segregated and mm -hmm. you know there was still Jim Crow laws on the books in, in the South for like you said decades uh, <laughs> after even you know the, the reconstruction amendments and things um, and and so you can see the effects of, of Frederick Douglass you know into the the civil rights era of the 1960s and beyond with um, you know his influence on on civil rights leaders like um, like Rosa Parks uh, you know Frederick Douglass kind of blaze that trail and refusing to get off of the the first class carriages of the trains with his white uh abolitionist mm -hmm. colleagues when he was on the abolitionist circuit or uh you know kind of the most well-known line of, of dr uh, martin luther king jr in the i have a dream speech um where he he said you know i have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character uh, i think he was maybe not even consciously because that speech was, was largely improvisational, but, mm -hmm. uh, but I think he was clearly probably influenced by Frederick Douglass, you know, which Dr. Kim was a very well-read well person, was probably very familiar with Douglass's writings. Um, and, and Frederick Douglass had, had written um, in a letter when he was, you know, living in England um, and, and contrasting the attitude of, of uh, the 
people that he encountered in Britain with, with that that he'd experienced in America. Uh, he wrote, they measure and esteem men according to their moral and intellectual worth and not according to the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. um, so, so yeah, he was, he was definitely a, a, a trailblazer in, in all of these ideas and, and his, uh, his influence, I think, is still being felt to, to this day. That's beautiful. Yeah. So another point that I wanted to bring up, an observation that I've made as perhaps a more conventional entrepreneur right now in the 21st century, someone uh -huh. who is starting up her own business, something that I've observed that I think really distinguishes today's entrepreneurs from those who have more of what you might call the employee mindset or the employee lifestyle mm -hmm. is this idea of multiple streams of income. And I've noticed that for people who are entrepreneurs today, it's the most obvious, basic idea. And it's what everyone knows they ought to be striving for in their life as a business entrepreneur is multiple streams of income. Whereas for people who are on the employee mindset, it's all about, I have my salary, I have my 401k, I have my benefits package. Right. But there's almost this complete blind spot to what is otherwise a very obvious idea of multiple streams of income. And one of the positive transformations I've seen in our culture as more and more people are becoming more and more entrepreneurial as the technology of the 21st century is allowing people to become more entrepreneurial even in the conventional sense we see more and more of this appreciation of this idea of multiple streams of income but what i want to suggest is that with this broader conception of the entrepreneur we even want a broader conception of this idea of multiple streams of income. And what I want to suggest is that we need a concept of multiple streams of value. And this ought to be what we are striving for in our lives, multiple streams of value. Right. And so when you first told me about that idea, I, I really love the idea. It sounded fantastic to me. But my first question was, okay, what, what do you mean by that exactly? Like it, what, what other kinds of streams of value would you have in mind? Or do you, would you think are, uh, things that, you know, everybody should pursue in their lives? That's a great question. And partly that's even what we're going to, I think, be exploring throughout the rest of this season in exploring mm -hmm. the 21st century Renaissance human project. So for example, our very next episode is going to be all about health and fitness, the role of the athlete. But so one stream of value that I think everyone ought to have incoming in their life is the value of health. There's the value then of emotional benefits, relationship benefits, which I think is going to tie to our episodes about the relationship maker that we're provisionally calling that and the state's person and even just intellectual benefits as well. So all these different kinds of value that you can bring into your life so that when you're thinking about being an entrepreneur, it's not necessarily starting up just a business venture that's going to bring you a return on a monetary investment, but it's starting up a venture of producing values across the board that can bring you back a return on investment in all of these different kinds of areas. Yeah. 
Yeah. And again, you know, I think Frederick Douglass's life provides just countless examples of this mm -hmm. kind of thing. You know, yeah. he uh, just, you know, just even some kind of, you know, maybe not as historically significant examples, although even there, like he was blazing trails. But like outside of his kind of core career path, um, things like, you know, when he was living in Rochester, trying to get the local school integrated so that his children could attend, because at the time it wasn't just in the South that schools were racially segregated. It was, that was the norm across the entire nation. So, you know, it took him a couple of years, but he got that school to accept his children and, you know, racially integrate it, which may have been the first racially integrated public uh, mm -hmm. primary school in the country, um, mm -hmm. thanks to his efforts, which, you know, probably did actually have some, some historic <laughs> implications going forward. And, and so, yeah, like I said, that's outside of his kind of career, the core path of his career, but you can see how it integrates to it. Um, and just like even, this is just like kind of just a weird side note that's just occurring to me off the top of my head here. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I've, I've heard that Frederick Douglass was uh, the most photographed American of the 19th century. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he's got like all of these great photographs. I actually have one here that was hanging on my wall, but um, mm -hmm. we're moving soon. So he he's, <laughs> anyway, so it just occurred to me, like, I wonder if part of the reason for that, I wonder if he sold these photographs and that was like kind of like another stream of income for him. Mm -hmm. um, well, part of what I've possible. heard of, Part of what I've heard about the photograph story, and I mean, this also ties into, I guess, the power of innovation that he saw the potential of photography was still a right. very new medium at the time. So exactly. he saw the potential. But it also, I think, tied into his social mission. So at the time, there were very common racist caricatures of what black people looked like. Sure. Uh, but he wanted to show a realistic image of a black person and the story I remember was that he was very conscious about having this very serious, stern, yeah. powerful impression because he wanted to fight back against the caricature of the quote unquote happy slave. So mm. he wanted to not be the happy slave and he wanted right. to present himself as this stern, powerful, individual person. Yeah. And he's very dignified in all of mm -hmm. these photographs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's part of the reason that I have a, a picture of him, you know, on my wall is to me, he is uh, kind of one of the perfect symbols of, of, you know, what I think of as the virtue of pride and, and, you know, including a lot of these, these things that we've been talking about today, you know, the, this, the value of having this kind of initiative to, um, determine your own destiny and, and, uh, being a self-made person and, and entrepreneurial and all of these things. Like, I think you can, you know, like if, if you can capture all of those qualities in a photograph of somebody, mm -hmm. you know, I think Frederick Douglass is the perfect example, the perfect subject there. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's really great. I didn't, I hadn't thought of some of those uh, aspects of it that you, you brought up there as well. So that's, uh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on on kind of the some of those other streams of value or any other examples that you? Well, so the final point I even just wanted to make was to offer an introduction to our listeners and viewers who may not yet be entrepreneurs and perhaps have no idea how to even get started as an entrepreneur. So I even just wanted to bring up something that I think has become 
almost a common trope in our culture in a wonderful way of how to start to make this transition to a more entrepreneurial life. And it's this idea of the side hustle. So I want to just come out yeah. and absolutely recommend this. If you are someone who is stuck on the employee track and you're trying to figure out how do I become an entrepreneur? And it's interesting that I think, especially right now in the moment that we're living, 2019, perhaps the best way to start to become an entrepreneur in this broader sense is to start by becoming an entrepreneur in the more conventional sense of figuring out a new business. How do I define a mission and monetize that mission? And a side hustle is one of the best ways to do that. And I think this right. maybe even starts to take us to our recommended resources. Well, before you actually even go there, if okay. I can just oh, jump yeah. in there right in. and add, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think, you know, it's important to note that it's easier to do that today, you know, now more than ever mm -hmm. uh, in terms of just kind of the resources available and, you know, the, the technology and how, how, you know, kind of the lowering of all the barriers to entry in terms of the costs and things. Um, and just access to information and all, all of these kinds of, of issues is, is just really, it can hardly be overstated. Um, and so, you know, even just like kind of as, as a, a, an example of that, you know, just like even for us doing this podcast is kind of like a side hustle. It's not something that we're doing, you know, directly as, as a, a stream of income or, you know, like we haven't, you know, figured out or thought really much about how to directly monetize it at this point, because that's not really why we're doing it. But it's definitely uh, something that kind of adds to some of these other multiple streams of value for us and, you know, can hopefully help us um, develop our other, you know, uh, entrepreneurial ventures that we're, mm -hmm. we're each working on individually. So, um, yeah, and, and doing something like that now is just so, you know, like, you know, it still takes initiative and effort, but it's not something that is nearly as difficult to do as it was, you know, in the not too distant past, you know, in pretty recent memory. And if so, Frederick yeah. Douglass could do this with everyone trying to make it absolutely impossible for him, what is your excuse when right. there's so much access and opportunity available? Exactly. So I guess the, that leads into your, your recommended resource. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I guess really we should mention that, that just a series of recommended resources for this episode would be the works of Frederick Douglass. All three of the autobiographies oh, sure. are, yeah. are definite recommended resources. For anyone who hasn't read those, like, mm -hmm. you know, I think every American um, would be doing themselves a favor to <laughs> read mm -hmm. Frederick Douglass's autobiographies or read a biography of him or you know, mm -hmm. learn, learn about him, you know, if you're interested in history and biographies at all. And he is, you know, his autobiographies are some of the kind of the classic examples of the genre of, of autobiographies, you know, that, um, you know, probably have really influenced that, that art form <laughs> or literary form to this day. So and even globally, I think there's the concept of the American ideal that Frederick Douglass is just one of the prime examples of the American ideal that we all can aspire to, no matter where we are on the planet. Yeah, totally agree. So, but then you had another another resource about side hustles, I think. Yes, yeah, so I did want to recommend a resource for side hustles for people who may want to take this brand new step. Maybe your startup, 
project initiative for the day is to actually start up thinking about how to be an entrepreneur. And if that's you, I'm going to recommend an internet resource by someone named Susie Moore. So that's uh, S-U-S-I-E, Susie Moore, M-O-O-R-E. And I've worked with Susie as a coach. She's both a life coach and a high performance coach and a publicity coach. But one of the things she absolutely specializes in is in helping people start up a side hustle. So if this is brand new to you, I just recommend you Google Susie Moore side hustle. And it's an introduction for how you can get started as an entrepreneur. Awesome. Uh, yeah, and then I just uh, had a book again that I wanted to recommend this week. I promise I'll branch out a little bit and not do books every week. But, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, one of the main reasons I listen to podcasts is for book recommendations. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of like why we started this recommended resources uh, segment at the end of our, our shows. Um, but so this week for entrepreneurship is specifically, um, the book that I, I had in mind is a little bit, you know, more on kind of the more traditional narrower uh, sense of entrepreneurship. Um, but for people who have kind of already started on their entrepreneurial path or have, you know, thought about it and looked into it a little bit, you, you might be familiar with kind of the ideas of lean thinking or the lean startup. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's a book that I really enjoyed, uh, when I started down this path, um, that kind of builds on that. That's called the lean entrepreneur by, uh, Brant Cooper and, Patrick Vlaskovitz. Uh, the subtitle is How Visionaries Create Products, Innovate with New Ventures, and Disrupt Markets. And um, and they do, you know, start from pretty basic level and, uh, you know, help you figure out how to, you know, define a value proposition, refine your value stream, interact with customers to get feedback, run experiments to de-risk your business model, that, that kind of lean thinking uh stuff you know navigate data, data without drowning in it um but they but they really integrate it to you know broader principles in a way that i found really um helpful you know like they early in the book they they actually write man being biological follow follows biological patterns so do man-made things and you know like some kind of an amateur somebody with an amateur interest in biology you know that really uh, appealed to me um and so you know including entrepreneurial business ventures according to the authors, follow these kind of biological patterns. And so due to this convergence of factors that we've kind of started talking about in, in our show from these lower barriers of entry to greater access to capital, and we're starting to see the beginning of an unprecedented rate of technological evolution. Um, and if they're going to keep up, business practices will have to evolve too mm -hmm. um, in this new environment. They have to adapt to, to all of the, you know this, these new technology platforms and all of these things. And uh, so they, they integrate all these principles from a variety of complementary sources, traditional lean thinking, customer development, design thinking, you know, biological <laughs> analogies, um, which all basically come down to applying the scientific method to designing your business. Um, and for me, it kind of adds up to this deep insight that the information technology revolution that we've been undergoing, undergoing for the past several decades uh, has been made possible by and is helping accelerate an underlying value creation revolution. And that creates this virtuous spiral um, in which, despite the continuously disruptive nature of innovation, we're increasingly better off. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so the way they put it is the best way to navigate the near future is to hyper-focus on creating value for customers and moving at the speed of the internet. Mm-hmm. And and the, that's their task in this book is to show you how to do that. And I think they live up to that promise. So I definitely recommend checking that, that one out. I love that. So anything else for this episode? No. So I guess uh, we just have our weekly challenge, which we're releasing this uh, just a couple days after our launch of our first couple episodes. So uh, So we're still still just doing the same weekly challenge. Do you want to review that? Yes. So we have a challenge coming out every week, and this is still week one. So it's still the same weekly challenge. So you have, though, a week now. You have until next week, Wednesday, 1159 Pacific Standard Time. And what the challenge is, is we really want to start to create a community around these ideas to open up the discussion. And so we're starting up a Facebook group. So the challenge for this week is to join the Facebook group, to uh, put up an introduction, a couple paragraphs, or shoot us a quick video, tell us who you are, where you are in the world, and, and why you're interested in these ideas of innovation, integration, and tell us what you think about being an entrepreneur. Awesome. Yeah. I can't wait to hear from some other people who are interested in exploring these ideas with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, all right. Do we want to wrap up there and then just... Uh... I think so. So tune in. You should be able to hear our next episode. will be coming out a week from today, next week, Thursday. And we are continuing exploring this idea of the 21st century Renaissance human. And as I mentioned earlier, we're going to be talking all about health and fitness. So this is the episode about being an athlete. All right. Excellent. I can't wait to talk about that. That's uh, something I am deeply interested in as well. So we all all want to be. Yeah. Looking forward to it. And thanks again, Joya. Really appreciate uh, you helping, you know, you putting this whole project together. Thank you. Really fun working with with you on it. Every episode, it's it's becoming better and better for me. Thank you so much. Me too. Likewise. All right. Thanks, Joya. Talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. See you soon. Bye, everyone. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Seeing Eye to Eye. You can find and subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or via RSS. If you found value in this show, we'd love for you to give us a review on iTunes or tell a friend who might be interested. Don't forget, you can also join the Seeing Eye to Eye podcast Facebook group to participate in the weekly challenge, ask questions, and add to our growing conversation. See you next time. Love me, love me.